morning, CPC. It's good to be up here. Um, whenever I'm the, my name is Will Cody, and I'm the campus minister for the PCA at Austin Peay State University. And when I have the chance to preach here, I, we always have been going to the book of James. James, right? So we are in chapter three. If you want to turn there, I'm on. Uh, it's on page 1,012. If you have one of these uh, pew Bibles, blue Bibles, let's read starting in verse 13. So James is the half-brother of Jesus. He's one of the leaders of the early church, and he's writing to a, a community of Christians that are experiencing trials. We might call the trial today the trial of true wisdom or the trial of wisdom. These are uh, trials that all Christians experience. You experience this trial. I experience this trial. And James wants us to endure in these trials and come out the other side more like our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's see what he has to say for us in chapter 3, verse 13. James writes, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The grass withers and the flower fades and the word of God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we pray you'd help us to understand this text, take it in, that you plant this in our hearts and that we would get to see a harvest of righteousness because of your work in us. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. So one time, so I lived in Korea after college and one time um, I lived there for eight years, and there was this uh, fame, semi-famous, I mean, famous in our really, really small circles, <laughs> uh, this famous American theologian and pastor who came to Korea to do this, like, pastor's conference for Korean pastors, and I was excited because I had read one of his books, and I liked it, and I'd read some of his articles, and one of my, actually, one of my friends in Korea, his dad was friends with this guy. So I showed up early to one of, I'm not going to name this guy, um, don't ask me this guy's name, because I will tell you his name. Um, <laughs> I cannot bridle my tongue. Uh, so I showed up early to one of the talks, and this guy sees me there, and he comes bounding over to me. I was the only other white guy in the room. And he comes up to me, and he's got this bright smile on his face, and he asked me how I'm doing, how the commute was. And after a couple of questions, I realized he did not, he thought I was my friend. He didn't know, apparently he'd never seen his friend's son before. And we look completely different, or seen a picture of him, or maybe he'd even seen his friend, because we look so different. But he thought I was his friend, so I was like, actually, I'm not that guy. I'm actually uh, Will Cody. And his face drops, this is like this happens every time. People find out who I am. His face drops and he's like, oh, okay. And then he suddenly had somewhere to go or someone to talk to. <laughs> and he walked away from me. And I felt uh, not good after that. Um, but fast forward a few years later, this other theologian that I love to read, I'll name this guy, his name is Vern Poitras. He came to Korea to do this conference, and he uh, came to our church, and he did uh, some talks at our church with his wife, Diane. She's so sweet. They're so awesome. So when I met this guy, Vern Poitras, and his wife, Diane, they were enthusiastic about getting to know me and Jungmi. 
I remember his wife excitedly asking if she could take a picture with us. And I was like, why do y'all want to take a picture with me? Um, they asked lots of questions about us and wanted to get to know our, about us and our lives, and it felt great. Now, both of these men, both of these men are, they would be considered wise and understanding by many people. They had written books, they taught at prestigious seminaries. But after my experiencing these two wise men, which one do you think I stopped reading all of his books ever? <laughs> and which man will I henceforth, I will read every, I, everything he re- writes, I will believe everything he says no matter what. Um, who was, like in my mind, who was a wise one in my mind that I want to listen to now, that I want to be around, that I want to boast about, that I want to name drop to people who don't, probably don't care about, uh, that I want to emulate, um, and who left me, and who's the one that left me feeling like a loser? <laughs> um, the contrast that I'm describing between these two wise men, these two wise people, resembles the two types of wisdom described in this text. I think James is getting to something that I experienced there. The last time we heard from James, a couple weeks ago, he told us all about the tongue and how the tongue is untamable by any human being. This week he's going to go deeper than the tongue. He's going to go a little more whole persons than just the tongue. James wants his readers in our text, he wants us to be people that live beautiful lives in relationship with one another. And there's a wisdom and there's an understanding that leads to the beautiful life. And there's also a wisdom, there's also an understanding that leads to disorder, that leads to jealousy, and even leads to violence in the general sense of violence. James here is giving us a basic lesson in relationship. He's giving us a basic lesson here in what relationships look like as we move toward other people in relationship. So here is a quick roadmap of our text before we get on the road, okay? So these are kind of the three points. So James does here what we've seen, we saw in the text a couple weeks ago. He's gonna show us first the ideal. This is what we were made for, this is our first point. The true wisdom is meek. And then James is going to reveal to us the sad reality we often find ourselves in, false wisdom. We're gonna see that false wisdom is proud. And then he's gonna show us what it looks like to persevere in this trial that all Christians endure. True wisdom is from above, we're gonna see. So our first point from the first verse, true wisdom is meek. Look with me in verse 13. James writes, he asks a question actually. He says, who is wise and understanding among you all? Now, I wonder if we ask this question and let people give a show of hands of who thinks that they are wise and understanding. I wonder who would raise their hand. Or I wonder, uh, maybe you have someone in mind, maybe not me, but I have someone in mind who I think is wise and understanding. I wonder if we were to name those people that we think of as wise and understanding, who would come to our minds? And I think it would be even more interesting if we went a little deeper and we thought, if, if you think you are wise in understanding, what is it that marks you off and distinguishes you as one of the wise in understanding or the person that you are imagining in your life that's wise in understanding? What is it that marks that person off? Why do you say that person is wise in understanding? My first thoughts when it came to what this means, being wise, what wisdom looks like. Uh, here's kind of my first thoughts when I think about this. Um, it's a man or a woman who knows how things work. They've been there, and they've done that, 
They've had the, they have the experience. You're able to see that the, uh, the meta variables at play in relationships, the meta variables at play in politics, in the economy, maybe you read The Economist or you tell people that you do at least, um, you understand, a wise person understands how people work. They know why they're doing the things they're doing. They know what they will do. They can, they can anticipate it. You're on the cutting edge. Here's what I think is kind of wise, naturally. You're on the cutting edge of what's new, new ideas, but you're also able to appreciate the old and the tested and the true. In my mind, that's what naturally comes up when it, I think of what a wise person looks like. And there's even part of me that kind of strives to, I want to be like that. That's the kind of person I want to be. Maybe you have a similar list or a different list of what wisdom looks like. And what's funny and what's surprising and what is shocking and what probably shocked the first readers here, they probably had their own kind of list, is that James doesn't even come close to describing what I just described. According to James, what is it that characterizes a wise and understanding man or woman? Look at the rest of verse 13. He says, who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, that could be translated good life, by his good life, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. It's not the answer I would have thought of when it came to wisdom. Wisdom, James says, is a person that is wise and understanding. They are going to exude what? Meekness is going to come out of them. They are wise and this wisdom will manifest the quality of meekness. And that's going to lead to a good life. And those, that good life is going to have fruits of good works. To borrow from James's uh, illustrations from the text right before this, um, if you're a grapevine, people are gonna know you're a grapevine because you're producing grapes. If you're a freshwater spring, then people are gonna know you're a freshwater spring because you produce fresh water. James says here, if you are wise and understanding, you are going to be producing meekness. You are going to be producing a good life born out of meekness and all the fruits that that looks like. And it follows that if we are not producing meekness, that's not working out into good conduct or good works in your life, then you are not wise and understanding. What's the opposite of a wise person? A fool. This is what, if, if there's no meekness, it shows that deep down inside, you are a fool. You can read all the books you want. You can be a professor, you can be a PhD, you can be a pastor, you can get invited to a TED Talk. But if you don't possess meekness, don't claim to be wise. Don't claim to be understanding. You are not wise, you are not understanding. You are foolish according to what James says. Now, we don't use that term a lot, um, meek. We don't use that term meek. What does meek mean? Jesus used it here in the Sermon on the Mountain a minute ago, and he means doing what you're told. That's what being meek is, being submissive, being easily imposed upon. That's what meek looks like. Um, the word here that's used in James includes that, but it includes a couple other, there's a couple other ideas at play in the, diff the slightly different word that James uses. You do what you're told, you're submissive, you're easily imposed upon. Isn't that the great American character trait, right? Uh, you're meek. You're also humble and gentle. It combines these all together, and that's what this person looks like. You're humble, you're gentle, and you're meek. In relationships, and this text is all about human relationships, relationship human to human, human to human, 
How do you come off? How do you want to be experienced by other people? How do you want to be? How do you, what's your idea? What are you going for? Um, do you like people to think of you? Do you want to come off as uh, very sophisticated? Or maybe you want to come off as like gritty, you know, down salt of the earth. I got that, I got that salt of the earth wisdom. Uh, maybe you want to come off as like funny. That's your way of uh, looking. You know, you have insight. You're, you're able to be insightful and funny. Maybe you want to be the one that's informed about any subject that might come up. Maybe you want to be like the answer man or the, the answer woman. Uh, maybe you like to come off as being a competent, strong leader. Maybe your, uh, maybe your claim to wisdom is that you're the nonconformist, right? You see all these systems and how they're all messed up, but I'm going to not conform. And that's my wisdom. Or maybe you're the insightful one that sees things that other people can't. Maybe you're aloof and unconcerned. You're above it all, and that's, your, that's what your wisdom looks like. Um, these are all potential ways that we try to come off as wise and understanding. This is what, how we try to set ourselves apart. And they aren't necessarily bad. I'm not saying that any of these are particularly bad. They might actually be helpful in some context. I don't know. But James says, because you have these qualities, or you found this role, that in no way means that you're wise and understanding. You cannot claim to be wise and understanding based on this, based on these roles, based on your ability to come off this way. If you're wise and understanding, you will be meek, you will be humble, and you will be gentle. Let's just throw, I wanna throw some synonyms to those words that, synonyms for these words help color in this person that James is describing. This person will be wise and understanding person is tender, unpretentious, submissive, deferential, they defer to others, they're soft-spoken, and they're teachable. This is what a wise person looks like. Truism is meek. This is James's first point. This is what a wise person looks like. Let's turn now to false wisdom. If that's like the ideal and we're going to color that in even more in the later verses. But if that's the ideal, what about false wisdom? What's, what is James against here? We're supposed to be like this and not be like this. Look at verse 14 through 16. False wisdom is proud. It's one great word that encapsulates everything that James describes here. Look at verse 14 through 16. And unfortunately, this is where we can very easily find ourselves. Read with me on the screen. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts... Do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. So rather than living out of the meekness of wisdom in your heart, James says we can instead live out of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition from our hearts. Now what is this? look like? We're going to spend the next, the rest of this point kind of seeing what does this look like? First is the opposite of meekness. It's pride. It's self first. It's everything revolving around me, everyone responding to me, everyone making space for me. This is the opposite of meekness. Um, it's thinking you're right all the time. I'm just going to think, think of ways this is different from being gentle, humble, and meek. This is uh, thinking you're right all the time, this is being unwilling to be persuaded. It's boasting overtly or covertly in how wise and understanding you are. It's demanding your rights. It's demanding your way. 
being argumentative, and like your basic stance toward others is, I'm gonna make room for myself in you. I'm gonna make room for myself here. And you're gonna have to conform and change, and you're gonna have to fit yourself around me and my thoughts and my words and my ideas. The picture we get as we get kind of deeper into this, and I feel like this could go a lot of different ways of what this looks like. We're gonna take this slice. Um, it's walking around in your heart and in your head, thinking, and if this, if this feels like you're getting stabbed in the heart, no, I'm getting kind of stabbed in the heart too, okay, with this. It's, it's walking, it's talking around with people with this thought. I am secretly wiser than everybody else here. Everybody else in this room, everybody else in my office. I have deeper thoughts. I have a more transcendent understanding of the world, of the way things are than anyone else. Everyone else here thinks they get it, but they don't get it. I get it. Now, if that's your assumption, and I don't know, it's like, I definitely feel that often, that feeling. And I know it's wrong, but I, I know I have that feeling. And, but if that's my assumption, if that's where I'm coming from, then people better listen when I'm talking, right? People better wanna be around me. People better listen to my amazing advice and my amazing insights. People, people better give me some recognition. And the best is when uh, all that stuff I just talked about, you don't get it, and then you think, oh, that just reinforces how far above everyone else I am, that they don't get this at all, and I do. Uh, but generally, when things don't go your way, if this is our mindset and things don't go our way, when people don't listen to you, when people don't recognize the genius that you are, or the wise person that you are, or worse yet, when you get challenged, or worse yet, others get listened to, others get promoted, others get chosen, others get recognized, and you don't, then what must inevitably be the result inside of you? There's this, this desperate grasping out for myself, for me, to save me. The bitter jealousy swells, and selfish ambition roars. A lot of this happens internally for me. I, don't, I know I'm gonna look bad if I say it out loud, but so I keep it inside. Maybe you do the same thing, or maybe you just let it all out. But where jealousy and selfish ambition grow and swell and roar, James describes the inevitable. There will be relational disorder. There'll be vile practices like boasting, quarreling, imagining the other person falling down the stairs, <laughs> saying evil things about other people, all these different forms of violence. There will be much uh, schadenfreude. Anybody know what that means? Uh, schadenfreude. Anybody know what that means? That is a German word we don't have an English word for yet. Somebody needs to come up with an English word for this. But this is when I take delight in someone else's misfortune. That good feeling I have when somebody else fails, when somebody else is in pain, and I feel good feelings, there will be much schadenfreude <laughs> when vile practices like this from a selfish, selfish ambition and bitter jealousy. You're holding so tight to the idea that you're special, that you are the center, that you are so necessary you have this unique, unique take on things. You deserve to be heard. That's so important, and I must be validated. I must be listened to. I must be recognized. What are some of the more, I those gave some kind of extreme ex examples here. What are some like ways that maybe this secretly, uh, not secretly, just a little more covertly, this comes out in our lives? Um, let's do kind of a thought experiment with me. Can you do a thought experiment with me? 
Um, first, let's talk about like advice and how advice works, okay? So if you're one who is always coming up with plans and opinions for everybody else's life, you're an expert on other people's lives, <laughs> um, or they, you know, we're always thinking or saying, you should do this, they should do that, why didn't they do this? Um, here's an experiment. What if someone did not listen to your advice? What if someone um, said that they didn't want your advice? What if someone said that your advice is stupid? <laughs> what would be your reaction? I think it might show where your ambition is. Would you be humbly curious what might have gone wrong here? Or would you move relationally against them? Would you move relationally away from them? Would you double down on how great your advice is and try to jam it in their brains? <laughs> and what would that prove about your relationships and your ambitions in this relationship? Is it for the other or is it for self? Here's another experiment. Um, think about this, talking about yourself and your ideas and your life. What if someone were to t tell you that you talk too much? What if someone were to tell you that they felt relationally neglected because you never asked questions or were curious about them? Would you do a pause and do a little self-inventory on yourself, or would you do some bio practice, like cut them off? Would you dismiss their experience of you? And what might that display about your ambition here in this relationship? Who is this relationship for? Other or maybe self? There's this great, great uh, quote of a quote that I, uh, we discussed one time in seminary um, for a whole class, and it was really great, but it stuck with me, it stuck inside of me, um, it's by this Chilean biologist philosopher. His name is Humberto Maturana. And um, this is the opposite of what I'm just describing, okay? He, does, he says this. He says, so Maturana defines violence as holding an idea to be true such that another's idea is wrong and must change. He calls that violence. Conversely, he defines love as opening space for the existence of another. Violence, he says, is holding an idea to be true in such a way that another's idea is wrong and must change. This sounds like this false wisdom. You can't be content unless the other has changed for you, conformed for you, yielded to you. You're not gonna accept them, you're not gonna love them until they do that. Love, on the other hand, looks like this, he, according to him. He says, opening space for the existence of another. He says love, one of the aspects of love, love does a lot of things. One of the things love does is it opens space for the existence of another. So whoever you are, whatever is your contrary idea, whatever is your opinion, I open space for you here with me. I want to know, and I want to, I want to know you, and I want to understand you as you are, not as I want you to be. I'm going to take you as you are and not as I want you to be before you change. Without change, I accept you. Now that sounds kind of scary. <laughs> That's scary, but hear me out, because we as Christians, we should be the best at this. 
we should be the absolute best at this. We should be the only ones doing this, actually. <laughs> uh, this is what James describes, what I just, this guy said. I think James is describing this in verse 17. Look with me in verse 17. James goes on to describe this true wisdom that we've heard described as meek, gentle, humble. He's gonna fill it out some more. Our third point, wisdom from above. Wisdom, above, wisdom from above looks like verse 17. I'm not gonna read it word for word. I'm gonna, go, I'm gonna go word for word and describe what this looks like. And just, I want you to do something for me. Pretend like you're on the receiving end of this. Pretend like you're the one that's receiving this in some kind of relationship. Um, maybe, in a, in a, maybe a conflict or potential conflict's gonna happen. Maybe it's just you and another person in general um, relationship with your children, with a spouse, with a friend, with a coworker, with um, someone. It could be intellectual conflict, relational conflict, family conflict, marital conflict, or just a general relationship. Okay, so verse 17. Okay, first, imagine you're receiving this from the other, okay? You're, here's what you're receiving from the other. First, the other person in relationship is pure. That means that they're morally blameless towards you. They don't mischaracterize you. They don't exaggerate what you say and make fun of it. They're morally blameless towards you. They're pure. Second, they're peaceable towards you. They're not quarrelsome. The last thing that they want to do is fight. The last thing they want to do is have actual conflict. Instead of being quarrelsome, they are gentle. That's the word it says up there, gentle. So gentle, they are considerate and they are willing to hear and consider and yield to you when you're speaking. They don't just say whatever they want, whenever they want, and you just gotta deal with it. They're responsive to you and where you are and what you can handle in the moment. They don't impose on you as they seek to understand you. Next, he says that they're open to reason. Not only are they willing, imagine you're experiencing this, not only are they willing to hear your words, they are open to reason and looking to understand your reasoning. They want what you are saying, their basic assumption to what you are saying is, hey, maybe you're onto something. I'd like to know more, and I might even be wrong. Imagine if that is someone's general attitude toward you. They're full of mercy. So this means they practice undeserved kindness, undeserved forgiveness in relationship to you. They don't hold your missteps against you. For example, let's say that... Um, you, you have some kind of faulty reasoning, or you misremembered something. They don't hold that against you, and look, you, look at this. They forgive you in the moment and in the relationship, and they don't hold it against you. They help you, actually. <coughs> I was watching Top Gun, this is coming to me right now. I was watching Top Gun last night. Anybody seen Top Gun? Uh, this has nothing to do with the movie, but I was reminded when I was in Korea, one time I was playing darts in a bar with these army guys, and I was like talking about my friend, he flies F-16s, and uh, he was like, F-16, that's been decommissioned for years. <laughs> And I'm like, dude, I'm not in your world. You don't have to, I don't know what it was. And what should he have done? He should have helped me and come and like met me there and be like, oh, actually those are, you know, help me, help me there. Don't make me look like an idiot. Like, <laughs> come toward me. So what we do in, in relationship is we are full of mercy. We help the other person process things when they need it. We help them, we make space for them. Um, Lastly, they're impartial and sincere. All these good things that you're experiencing from them, this is all real. It's all real and coming from their hearts. They, they're speaking from a place of honesty and they mean it. How would you like this if someone were to treat you like this? <laughs> Isn't this something that we all desire? Isn't this something that we long for? Someone to open up and make space for the existence of me? 
You don't have to change for them, right? You don't have to conform yourself to them. You can just bring yourself to them, and they're gonna love you, <clears throat> they're gonna meet you, they're gonna help you, they're gonna be there with you as you bring yourself. Now, turn it back around. This is how we are made to be with one another. This is what we are made to be, this is what we were saved to be with one another. Is there someone that you <coughs> directly or indirectly have communicated that they must change before you love them? Is there anyone in your life, your family, your friends, your work, <coughs> where you have communicated directly or indirectly that they must change before you love them, before you make space for them? They need to conform and change before that. Maybe somebody in your family, maybe a non-Christian friend, you, you know, you have to start making some steps toward Jesus before I'm gonna actually accept you. Uh, maybe an annoying person at work, maybe a person who says racist things. Like, if nobody loves them, nobody, if, if everybody just walked away from them, nobody would love them. Um, what about another human? Can you make space for somebody that loves Joe Biden? <clears throat> Can you make space for someone who follows QAnon? Can you make space for a human being made in God's image? Can you make space for them and listen to them? Can you make space uh, for someone in your life who says that they're gay? Can you make space for them without them having to change first? What are we showing them when we do that? We are showing them that you must change before you're able to be loved. And is that what Jesus says to us? Absolutely not. Jesus accepts us while we are sinners. He accepts, Jesus never said that to you. You have to change. You have to conform before I'm gonna accept you and love you. Here's the basics of relationships, James says, when it comes to how we relate to other human beings. Here's the wisdom. This wisdom, if you wanna be wise and understanding, this is what you're gonna smell like. <coughs> this is what you're gonna taste like. Meek, pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. All those ways that we desire to be related to that I just described, giving that to other human beings, that gift. Anyone that God has put in your life, no person is off limits. And if you can think of one, come tell me later. I mean, because you could, you could read two books a week, right? Think about this. You could read two books a week. You could know the ins and outs of Eastern European history and politics and all this stuff. You can understand people psychologically to the core. You can understand what has brought us to this current moment in American society. But if you don't have love, you gain nothing. You are nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, you are nothing if you don't have love. God told us, God never told me to read two books a week. God never told me to be up to date on the latest leadership you know, theories. God never told me I had to be the most clever person in the room. He did tell me I'm supposed to love my neighbor. He told me he came and met me when I was his enemy. He came and met me when I was a weirdo. He came and met me when I was boring. <laughs> we can do the same thing to other people. That's why he saved us to do this. It's only on the level that you have experienced and know the love of Jesus Christ and how radical it is that he came and met you wherever you were that we can go and meet other people and love them and make space for them like Jesus did, does for us. Now, James says, if you lack wisdom, I hope there's some point at here where you're like, oh, this stinks, I can't do this. This is so hard. That's the trial of true wisdom. And James says in chapter one, verse five, this is kind of a theme in his book, that if you lack wisdom, if you find a place where you lack wisdom, what are we supposed to do? Ask for it. 
and he says he will give it without reproach, <coughs> without making you feel bad, without giving you a guilt trip. He will lavish you with wisdom. Last, last small point here. Christians are the only ones that should be doing, that can do this. Think about this. Loving people that are drastically different than you, loving people and making space for folks who are against the very fundamental assumptions of your life, the world doesn't do that. Moving toward people, making space for someone you know is gonna bore your socks off. Why would we ever, ever do that? It doesn't make sense. Unless someone did it to you first. Unless someone came and met you where you were first. You know, this model person that James is describing here, this model person, this is describing, go back and read it later, this is describing Jesus. And as you realize how he has met you, where you are, you are unlocked like a character in a game. You're like, unlocked, there's new powers unlocked. That you can now go and meet people that you never thought you could make space for, people you never thought you could move towards and loved. Here's a homework this week. Is there one person in your mind that, is there one person maybe that's been coming up in your mind? Is there one person in your life, maybe just start with one person. And here's the homework. Is there a person that has come to your mind that you have overtly or covertly communicated, I will not love you, I will not make space for you until you change? Go and love that person. Go pursue that person. Make space for that person. Move towards them and love them. Pick one person and just put this and see what happens. See what God does. Uh, the, people that, uh, that the, that the people that often are the most, seem the most boring at first, the most annoying, once you get to know them, it's, a, it's like a gift that actually they're not. Actually, they're amazing. And it's actually good for me to get to know this person. Test God. Let's test God on this. We're supposed to test him, right? <laughs> Uh, but first do this. Ask God for help. Don't, don't do that without asking God for help. Let's ask him for wisdom. Let's ask him for this meekness, this humility that he gives generously to all who ask without reproach. And let's actually do that. Let's do that right now. Let's ask God to help us. Um, Father, we pray in this trial of wisdom, this trial of meekness, that you would give us eyes that see the truth, that you have come and met us when we did not deserve it. You came and met us while we were even your enemies. And would you help us take that in to know you more, know your son Jesus Christ more so that we can move toward other people. We can make space for them instead of imposing on them. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, amen.